Hello and welcome back to the RHS Gardening Podcast. Each fortnight we bring you a mixture of features and discussions exploring every aspect of gardening. Plant care, pest control, container ideas, growing your own fruit and vegetables. Plus expert seasonal advice on what you should be doing in your garden right now. I'm Sean Thomas, Garden Visits Editor of The Garden, the RHS monthly magazine for members. Coming up in this edition, RHS experts answer your seasonal gardening questions, including mysterious colour changes in hydrangeas, first aid for damaged lawns and tips for planting allium bulbs. Bring a touch of the moors to your garden with heathers and, as always, we'll have the latest news on RHS events across our four gardens. But first, let's find out what jobs the teams at RHS Garden Wisley are tackling this month. Hello, it's uh, Andrew Salisbury here, Senior Entomologist at uh, RHS Garden Wisley. One job to do in December is to treat your fruit trees with a winter tree wash. And the reason you do this is um, to control the overwintering eggs of some of the fruit aphids, which can cause severe distortion to the leaves and the fruit in the spring. Now, these fruit aphids overwinter as eggs on the tree. And the winter wash basically destroys those eggs. Now you do the winter wash in December because the winter wash will also affect any living material on the tree. So the tree does need to be completely dormant. So my name is Matthew Pottage and I'm Deputy Curator here at RHS Garden Wisley. And coming into the winter period, just something to keep an eye on is the stability and basically the welfare of newly planted things. So that's stuff we've put in in the autumn, some of our newly planted trees, and that's checking for things like windrock and you know, just basically getting buffeted around by the wind. When we've had periods of cold, frost, things can get lifted from the ground. So that things are firmed in, they're staked, they're in good condition. And if it's something shrubby and you think it's rocking in the wind and you can actually reduce it, tip it back with secateurs and it's not going to interfere with its long-term shape or look, then do that because something rocking around through the whole winter months uh, is really not good for the plant's welfare. You can find more information about all aspects of plants and gardening techniques on the advice pages of our award-winning RHS website, plus general gardening tips and guides to seasonal jobs at rhs.org.uk advice. Plus, you can also find video guides to key jobs in the garden. I'm Sean Thomas, and you're listening to the RHS Gardening Podcast. Now, like clothes, plants can be victims of fashion changes. Certain plant species seem to catch the imagination of gardeners and are popularised by nurseries at certain periods of time. So much so, in fact, that they can become synonymous with certain decades. For instance, the conifer Leylandii with the 1980s or pampas grass with the suburban 70s. Such unfair associations can make such species seem dated, argues Matthew Pottage, Deputy Curator of RHS Garden Wisley in Surrey. It's time to look beyond our preconceptions and rediscover the beauty and benefits of unfashionable plants. I want to talk to you about unfashionable plants, plants with a bad reputation. I've got quite a soft spot, I think, for liking things that maybe, you know, they're not an everyday fashionable plant, shall we say. They're not appearing at Chelsea at the moment and they're generally looked down upon. And I've got a couple of a couple of things to discuss with you. I've got a huge display now in the grass borders of Cortaderia, commonly known as the pampas grass. And 
you know, it's, it has a funny reputation. There's often a story that goes with somebody that has a pampas grass in their front garden. I'm sure we've all heard it and I'm not going to go any further down that road. But they are often thought of as a big, bulky, robust plant that throws up all these big, funny, feathery seed heads in the autumn. And there's not a lot else you can do other than set fire to the things to get rid of them. And that's quite a mean reputation because there is a lot of diversity and there's actually quite a lot of useful ones that are really good for their foliage. And in the grass borders at Wisley, we've got golden variegated ones, we've got white variegated ones. And some of these heavily variegated ones, they're not so vigorous. They don't actually throw up loads of flowers that all collapse in the winter winds. And they actually just create good kind of punctuations, if you like, or good groupings for autumn interest. And if the winter's not too cold, they do hold that colour. And you'll see on some of the winter interest beds on Seven Acres, we do have a couple of plantings of variegated, golden variegated cultivars, which do look good just as big hummocks of grass. Obviously, some of the bigger cultivars, there's one called Candy Floss down on the grass borders, which has a very stately cluster of these very, very big flower heads. But something like Oreo Lineata um, has a lovely, delicate variegation. Take a look in the plant finder. You'll be surprised just how many cultivars there are out there. And also some of the species ones, something like Cortaderia richardii, which is one of the New Zealand ones. It's not as big as some of the Chilean species, and it's got very slender, very dainty seed heads. So, yeah, don't overlook pampas grass. But also down this unfashionable avenue, I'm going to talk about heathers, because we've got the National Collection of Heathers at Wisley, and that's made up of Erica, Coluna, and Daboesia. And, you know, heathers, I think, are associated a bit with the 70s. They go down that avenue with the conifers, poor things. And they're not often thought of as a good long-term garden plant. They become woody, they become leggy, you prune them back, they don't regrow. La, 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 we know all this. And with some of these heathers, we've got some really good doers. And in the heather garden at Wisley, among the big collections, you can take a walk down there and really spot some of the, you know, the good performers, the good doers. There's an Erica hybrid called Cross Daliensis, and it's such a good carpeting, ground cover, long-lived, doesn't become woody after a couple of years. Lots and lots of little bell-shaped flowers. And these things are really good for the bees as well. You know, we are all about the pollinators and looking after our bees. So really don't overlook the Ericas. And Erica daliensis is such a good hybrid, very vigorous. But the other thing, with the whole plants going woody, a lot of people forget that you can drop layer uh, heathers so that's lift an old woody plant you can do it in the autumns in the winter months dig the hole deeper basically drop it in deeper to hide a lot of those woody stems carefully backfill with the soil tamp it down around the stems with your fingers and those will actually take root and all those upright stems that are sticking out the soil will become new plants but effectively you're just going to have a mass of a good looking heather so it's not always end of the road when they start to get a bit woody and just my final thing is in the heather garden, you'll see there's five of this, ten of that, seven of that. And it's a patchwork quilt. It's impressive. It's not to everyone's taste. But on the back of seven acres on our new winter beds, we've just cut, you know, we've just selected one good cultivar and done them in big rivers, in big drifts. So it's quite simplistic. And they're used with other plants. They're not just with loads more heathers. And I think that's got quite a different feel to it. So take a look at those and see what you think as well when you're next visiting us. But don't overlook them. They are still good garden plants and they're good for the bees. Matthew Pottage, Deputy Curator at RHS Garden Wisley.
You can find more information about heathers and grasses as well as the RHS Plant Finder tool to help you choose the best varieties for the conditions in your area on the plant pages of the RHS website, rhs.org.uk plants. Now, if you're a regular listener to the RHS Gardening Podcast, you'll know that each month members of the RHS advisory team join us to answer your gardening questions. So let's hear advice on some of the problems they've received recently. Hello, I'm Lee Hunt. I'm the Principal Horticulture Advisor here at RHS Garden Wisley. Hello, I'm Guy Barter. I'm one of the horticultural team here at Wisley. Hello there, my name's Rob and I'm one of the horticultural advisors here at Wisley. The first question is from Lee Nelson, who writes by email and says, I bought some beautiful allium bulbs at the RHS Birmingham Flower Show at the NEC this summer. To be honest, I'd forgotten all about them until a box of 30 arrived in the post this week. I'm panicking about how, where and when to plant them now. I have a small terrace strip garden in East London with clay soil. Please help. Well, um, we all do it, don't we? We all buy things out of enthusiasm at the shows and then they arrive as a rather nice surprise, hopefully anyway, at the this time of year. Alliums, they do need really to go into the ground now. So you're looking for a sunny spot Obviously, it's very wet at the moment, so we don't really want anywhere that is going to be wet over the winter. And we want somewhere that um, we've got nice free-draining soil too. But um, there are other things to look out for as well. So, Rob, I can see you're ready with some extra tips there. <laughs> well, um, if you're going to plant the, uh, the bulbs, make sure that you plant them about four times the diameter of the bulb. Uh, don't plant them too shallowly. And the other thing is, um, for smaller growing plants, um, sow the bulbs about three to four inches apart or eight to ten centimetres. Um, and taller species need to be um, about 20 centimetres or eight inches between the bulbs. But I noticed that you have a clay soil. And if your clay soil does become saturated in the winter, alliums aren't going to like that very much. Um, you might find that over time they would actually begin to rot off. So you may want to consider planting them instead into a container, which would be much more freely draining and would probably suit your bulbs better. I'd just like to add, I'm slightly concerned that um, having ordered the bulbs nice and early in June, they didn't turn up until early winter, when the best time for planting alliums is in September. So um, I feel that there may be a case here for having a discussion with your supplier and uh, consider whether they would be willing to to refund your money and supply bulbs perhaps at a um, at a more sensible time next year. We've had an email in from Kate Aldersley. We are recycling some pallets as planters for our balcony. What are the best ways to line them and do we need compost or anything else to help drainage? Well, um, starting with this lining issue, do you think it's worthwhile because the pallets are going to be Probably quite soft wood, I'd have thought. Yeah, I think it's a great idea to line the um, the planters made out of old pallets uh, with a, a plastic sheeting. But do make sure there's plenty of holes for good drainage um, because uh, you do need good drainage. Water hanging around in, in planters uh, will be very damaging indeed. Now, as to what to fill them with, uh, that's a more difficult thing. Um, depends what you're going to grow if you're going to grow long-term things like shrubs for example uh, then you might want to use a soil-based uh, John Innes media and if you want to grow short-term things like petunias for example then um, an ordinary multi-purpose potting media would be fine now whether you have to add something or not is quite difficult because many of the 
uh, potting media that's supplied to amateur gardeners is really variable and sometimes it's uh, very sandy and um, open which is fine because you can always add more water but it can mean that uh, you have to water too much so you might want to add some water retaining gel to that compost or it can be more claggy and sticky and ill draining and in which case it may well be that your pallet planters are going to get a bit um, a bit too airless in the root department and under those circumstances you want you might want to add up to 30% by volume of something like perlite or coarse grit but on the other hand um it sounds like you've made some really economical planters that you can have a lot of fun with. I was just going to add as well that um, often people worry about weight on balconies and obviously there's the issue of getting it up the stairs and lifts as well. So the perlite I think is a particularly good one because not only is it light to carry up the stairs but it is lighter so it'll make the, the compost less weight on the balcony. There's a question here from Justina Forrestal. And she says, I bought a lovely hydrangea this year. It was bright blue when I bought it, but turned pink after planting. I'm on a clay soil. Why would it turn turn pink? I'm guessing it's to do with the soil. Is it possible to change it back to the desired blue colour? Well, your clay soil is probably alkaline. Um, as alkaline so- soils turn blue hydrangeas pink, um, and only acid soils are able to produce blue hydrangeas. Um, so you can try to increase the acidity of the soil by adding um, some uh, sulphur chips um, around the soil, around the base of the um, hydrangea. These will slowly dissolve in, in rainwater and will form a, a dilute sulfuric acid, which won't hurt the plant, but will, will gradually lower the pH of the soil. Alternatively, you can try to use a, a hydrangea colorant, which is available from garden centers, which um, um, is designed to um, promote blueness in the flowers. Um, but this can be a slow process to achieve a true blue, and so you may actually want to consider lifting the plant and actually growing it in a container um, using ericaceous compost. And if you're in a hard water area um, over a period of time, if you water with tap water, Tap water, hard tap water, is also alkaline, so that will actually begin to affect the pH of the soils, so and turn it alkaline as well. So try, if possible, to use rainwater whenever you can. And uh, on the pH front, remember that uh, you can get little cheap test kits for a couple of pounds, and you can actually find out what the pH is in your soil, and then you'll be better informed. Uh, one thing is that when you've got a new hydrangea, you want it to grow. So sulfate of ammonia is a nitrogen-rich fertilizer that'll encourage growth. It also acidifies the soil. So 100 grams of sulfate of ammonia will neutralize 140 grams of lime. So you're uh, getting two for the price of one, really, there. And uh, be aware that clay soil can take a really long time to change. So if you do apply sulfur chips, uh, remember that it could take quite a long time for the pH actually to come down, a year or two, but it will come down in the end. And that's assuming, of course, that you don't live in one of those areas where you have free chalk in the soil. So put a couple of spoonfuls of uh, soil in a glass tumbler and then stir it up with some... uh, distilled vinegar from the um the supermarket and if it fizzes you've got uh a free chalk in the soil and you really ought to um consider the pot growing situation as you can never turn a chalky soil sufficiently acid really the next question is from rebecca lyons of essex and she writes our lawn is a patchy muddy nightmare 
after a summer autumn of being used as a builder's store and a cat poo den. Not our cat, she adds. Husband isn't keen to go down the fake grass route and know that spring is the best time for sowing new grass seed. What can we do meantime to help nourish the things over the winter? It sounds more like Glastonbury, I think, than a, a lawn after the builders have been on it over the summer. Um, and it is a difficult thing to know what to do because now really the ground conditions are at their worst. They're at their muddiest, wettest. And we've probably got all those things like compaction from all the, the wear and tear that has gone on. It doesn't sound like there's much grass left. And yet trying to make those conditions better to actually get on and make a change is very difficult because... Um, particularly if it's on a heavier soil, you're going to put the fork in now and it's going to be wet, sticky, and trying to prepare it to grow grass is tricky. What would Do you think there is anything that can be done, Guy, over the, the winter? Or do you think it really is a case of wait for the spring and be patient? I think it's definitely a case of be patient. But if it does turn dry, we get a bit of blowy weather and some sunshine, um, then it may be possible to get out there with your fork and spike it and uh, just to make just to relieve that surface compaction but there is hope um when you've got a when you've got a grass growing as you will have next year maybe you can spike in the spring for example and feed the grass a little um you will get a considerable penetration of roots which opens up the soil and if you can mow frequently next year so the grass clippings fall back into the soil you'll encourage earthworms and earthworms are absolutely extraordinarily brilliant at turning the most unpromising soil into something nice so um, there is excellent hope not immediately but in the next year or two um, I think your lawn will come right and you will um, be able to keep it in to keep it that way without much effort for a considerable time. Grass doesn't usually grow in the winter because of the low temperatures and low light levels and so therefore it, it would be a waste of time really to feed then. Um, much better really to wait until the spring when the temperatures and light levels improve and the grass will be able to use the feed you apply. Don't panic though I think is the message. It is going to be spring where it really takes off. The grass grows so rapidly in spring that really within sort of four to six weeks things improve, it greens up and it starts to look like a proper lawn again. So okay you might have to be a bit patient but it will look very quickly green by May-June. We've got a follow-on question about lawns from Mary Hughes by email. She says, I have a young family and we bought a climbing frame and swings. How can I protect the lawn around and underneath it? Uh, Rob, what do you think might be the best solution here? If you want to um, keep the lawn, um, uh, using a slip-resistant grass um, reinforcement mesh might help. Um, This is a a flexible mesh-like mat which allows light and rainwater through but it's thick enough to sit slightly above the soil surface and this will help to stop the compaction and dieback from the trampling that the children will do when they're playing on the swings and the climbing frame. It can be removed fairly freely afterwards and uh, you'll have a reasonable lawn back um, as soon as you you do so. Um, It's available from a company called Grassform and it's a UK company. You'll find them on the website. This is a problem that we have at Wisley with all our our seats and benches around the garden after a little while where people's feet are becomes a muddy patch in the middle of the lawn so what we do which is something that you could try if your lawn is big enough is to rotate the um the placing of the uh, swings and play equipment around the garden 
um, to find a new fresh bit of grass every so often. Of course, if your garden's small, uh, that might not be possible, or indeed if the things are, are set in place for stability, as they might well be, then again, that's not possible. And sometimes, especially if you've got a clay soil that is, is difficult to keep open and well-drained, it's worth just resurfacing the play area uh, with something like play bark and holding that in place with some edging boards inserted around the sides and then when the children are older and move on to other things you can gather up the bark and the timber and uh, restore it to lawns or borders as you wish. Paul Small of Stockton on Tees um, has grown a fig tree and he says um, our fig tree has grown like nothing I've ever seen and produces some delicious figs however it is starting to grow into next door's garden. Will it be okay just to prune off some branches, or is there a particular way I should prune it? Lee, um, you're a, a big fig enthusiast. What do you think? Well, well done for getting the figs, I think, is the first thing. But um, yes, I suppose is the answer. You, you can just prune away. But of course, there is pruning and there is pruning. So the time to do the pruning is in spring. So we're talking about mid to late April. You will find, though, whatever you cut back on figs, it will produce a sticky sap. So be a bit cautious of that. Um, at the very least, it makes a mess and can be irritant in some cases, too. But then what you're aiming to do is shorten back those branches that are going towards your neighbour, either to a shoot or a bud or a side branch so that it keeps it more compact. Otherwise, what you're trying to do is keep the centre nice and open so that the light can get in and it doesn't become too dense. At that time of year also, you will see the little immature pea-sized figs. They're the ones that are going to fruit this summer. So you can see what fruit you might get that you're about to cut off. So it gives you some choice about where to cut and where not to. And to help um, promote um, uh, fruit ongoing... Um, it's a good idea in June to to um, cut back um, the new shoots to say four or five leaves. Um, what that will do will be st to stop the growth of the plant of the sh of the stem and uh, encourage it to uh, put out those little tiny figs, which will overwinter and fruit the following year. The RHS advisory team. If you have any questions you'd like to hear answered on the podcast, you can email them to us at podcast at rhs.org.uk. Remember, RHS members can contact the advice team by phone, email or letter for free help with any gardening queries. If you'd like details on how you can become a member of the RHS, just go to rhs.org.uk slash join. So what's happening in our four RHS gardens this month? Whether you want to pick up unique Christmas gifts, join in family events with a difference or simply walk off those festive indulgences in beautiful surroundings, all four RHS gardens have Christmas all wrapped up. Be sure to look after your garden birds at Christmas. On the 13th and 14th of December, RHS Garden Rosemore will show you how to encourage the birds into your garden with bird tables and feeders, plants with berries that act as natural food sources and create shelter. Talks on the subject take place at 11.30am and 2.30pm. And if you're looking for activities for the family during the school Christmas holidays, there is plenty happening in our gardens to interest family members of all ages. 
Hello, I'm Nikki Curtis. I'm the events manager at RHS Garden Wisley. Um, and I wanted to tell you about a really exciting headline event that we've got at Wisley over the Christmas holidays. Um, this year, we're inviting everyone to enter the magical world of Narnia on the Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe Story Trail, which is running from the 20th of December to the 4th of Jan, excluding the 25th and 31st of December. This is an enchanted story trail which we're producing in conjunction with the Rose Theatre Kingston. And we're inviting everyone to discover a land of fantastical creatures um, and try and find Aslan hidden somewhere in the garden. You'll be able to listen to stories told from three of the key characters from the book um, at secret locations throughout the garden by picking up a trail map from the entrance. Look out for the glow of the lamppost as you come into the garden. This is an event that the whole family can enjoy. Um, we say particularly four years and upwards will get the most from the Enchanted Story Trail. Um, it's an event that's free with your garden entry, so please do come along and enjoy everything we've got to offer at Christmas at Wisley. As always, full details of all these events and more are on the RHS website. Go to rhs.org.uk slash gardenswhatson. Thinking of great gift ideas? Give an RHS show ticket gift voucher to family and friends to enjoy a wonderful day at one of our world-famous flower shows where they'll find dazzling gardens, stunning floral displays, top advice from RHS experts and much more. It's a wonderful present for everyone, not just for garden lovers visit rhs.org.uk slash shows gift voucher. We're out of time on this edition of the RHS Gardening Podcast. We'll be back in a fortnight. Until then, remember to follow us on Twitter at the underscore RHS and like us on Facebook. For now, from me, Sean Thomas, and all the team here at RHS Garden Wisley in Surrey, goodbye. Goodbye.